Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Nick Wasiliev, Booktopia's social media specialist, and this is a podcast about books and the amazing people who read them and write them. And I'm very excited today because I'm joined by a very special guest. Joanne Harris is an internationally renowned author and publisher of two novellas, two collections of short stories, and 15 books, including Blackberry Wine, Gentlemen and Prayers, Five Quarters of the Orange, and of course, Chocolat, which won the 2000 Creative Freedom Award and was adapted into a feature film that was nominated for five Oscars. Her latest book is an absolute must for young, aspiring authors and has already received acclaim from the likes of Matt Haig, Krista Cowell, and Neil Gaiman. And I'm delighted to have Joanne here on the podcast to discuss her new book, 10 Things About Writing. Build your story one word at a time. Joanne, welcome to the Booktopia podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for hosting me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. And not going to shine away from this amazing book for a moment, but um, we were mentioning beforehand, I myself am releasing my first book this year, and I am absolutely livid that I did not get the chance to have access to this amazing book that you have put together um, during my personal writing process. <laughs> um, because this book, it's, it, it really kind of gets to the nitty gritty and really is an absolute must for, uh, for anyone who's wanting to get their thoughts down on the page and become a writer. But for all of our listeners, uh, within, within them, very likely a lot of aspiring authors, uh, what is your elevator pitch to encourage them to check out 10 Things About Writing? Well, my first piece of advice is to stop saying aspiring and to do some writing <laughs> because I find that a lot of people find that there is a great sense of fear in admitting to yourself that you're a writer, in approaching writing, and, and this holds people back. And so they, they kind of dance around the subject and they think of themselves as aspiring writers and, and they do absolutely anything they can to put themselves down and to not take what they do seriously. Well, actually, all they need to do is to go write. I'm a writer. I am now going to do some writing and then just do some because actually that's how you get good. And so much of my book is about trying to get people into the zone, trying to get them to to admit that it's okay to take what they do seriously at whatever level, because you don't have to want to be a professional writer to want to be a better writer. And so it takes people from first principles, people who have never written anything at all, people who have just wanted to all their lives and have never had the courage to start, right to what happens if you're actually successful and what happens afterwards, because none of these things are things that I was told when I was starting off and I had to basically make all the mistakes so that the reader now doesn't have to <laughs> so it's not just 10 things about writing it's actually a thousand things about writing but it does it it takes you to whatever level you want to go basically and and it's for people who who would like to get into the business professionally but also people who would just like to get better at what they do because writing is actually it's not just for one thing it's not just for a profession you know you can benefit in enormous ways from writing without ever wanting to be conventionally published or or even to have readers or, or to actually make a living traipsing around the country doing tours it's, it's 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 not like that it can be it can be enriching in all kinds of ways mm, it certainly is a very thorough analysis of wanting to become a better writer and also the actual nature of writing 
I know that you have been working with, I know you hate the term aspirational writers, but <laughs> first time writers for, you know, close to half, I mean, over half a decade. Why was it now that you decided to make the decision to take all these amazing pearls of wisdom that you've accumulated over years and, and finally put it down on the page? Well, I think when lockdown happened, um, there was obviously, I think, a great appetite for writing advice. And I found that there were a lot of people approaching me online saying, oh, can you, uh, can you tutor me? Or I'm thinking of writing a book. Are that the kind of thing people do when suddenly they have unexpected swatches of time and they've always rather wanted to write? And, and a lot of people were able, I think, in those exceptional circumstances to give themselves permission to write. And they, they would they liked the idea of having some kind of a template. And because I also was under lockdown and I had this, this archive of advice that I'd been giving on Twitter for years, I thought, well, you know, I could actually, I could do something good here. I could put it together. It wouldn't take me too long. I could help out a small publisher by having it published by them so that, you know, they would benefit and it would also benefit me in that it could be brought out as an ebook very quickly during lockdown and the people who needed it could have it right then. Mm, yeah. I mean, it, it, def, it certainly has come out at the, at the right time because it, there is a, the amount of interest that has come back in, in terms of books and reading, there's been a real craving for it. Now people actually have the time to read and, and also to write. I'm kind of curious. They have the time and they also, they, they're also in the right kind of headspace because I yes. think there are a lot of things that people would like to express and writing can be therapeutic. Writing can be cathartic. I think that people under pressure sometimes enjoy having an outlet and, and writing can be that too. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's it, as an actual tool whatever that whatever it may be it, can, it is often so beneficial to be able to just put words down on a page whether you are doing it for the intention of being creative or not out of curiosity did the actual process or arguably kind of looking at your own process uh make you look writing it down on a page did it make you look at your own process differently and realize you know, did some things matter a lot more to you when you actually look down and, and think about it a bit more? Because I'm assuming having written so many books, the writing process is just almost second nature to you. It isn't, it isn't. I think um, my books are all different. The writing process is slightly different every time. Um, but also I've been, I've been doing these, these 10 tweets on Twitter for 10 years now. Yes. Mm. And, and so I've been examining my own writing process during that time and saying, okay, these are things that have worked for me. They may not work for you, but these are things that I have observed over all this time. And if you observe it too, then it will possibly help you be a better writer. And <clears throat> So there's the fact that I've been thinking like a teacher for all this time. I mean, I was a teacher for 15 years anyway, and you never really stop being a teacher. So the process of interpreting how things work and how the people make things work and how you make things work, that never goes away. And it's, it's something that I've been conveying on Twitter for, for a long time. And, and all my followers on Twitter have, have been saying, well, you should write a book about this. You should write a book about this. And so eventually... I did. But I think, you know, the, the, the process of thinking about the process is something that never really quite goes away. And, and, and we're always learning. I mean, there is a very broad learning curve 
and we're all on it. I mean, I don't think anybody, however long they've been in the business and however successful they are, ever stops learning. And, and if you think that you've actually stopped, then that's probably the time when you start being rubbish again. And, and it's probably the time you need to think most about what you're actually doing. Mm, yeah, exactly. It's kind of mentioned, I love the idea of you talking about uh, the idea of almost going back to being a teacher, because I mean, there are a lot of uh, creative writing help books out there and there's no shortage of discussion and discourse around the actual writing process. Um, one of the, but one of the things, I mean, I've in the process of getting my own writing process started, I would often go to a lot of these books. And one of the ones that I, things I loved about your book is the, your willingness to, to not just talk about the actual process of writing, but also the mental games that you beat yourself up with uh, around it, how to stop getting your ego in the way. Um, (laughs) Even the idea, and this is something that I didn't even hit me setting up your own workspace the right way in a specific way. What did you, I mean, you had a lot of, uh, of people wanting to know uh, about the actual process of writing, but for you personally, what did you want to achieve with, uh, with this book that maybe other books hadn't have done before? Well, in some ways I wanted to demystify the process of writing. I think there is a lot of rubbish written about writing, (laughs) about the magic of writing, the kind of woo of writing. And it's not helpful because it makes people feel that if they're not magic people, they can't write and they won't be successful. And this is just not true. Um, It's not good for writers. It's not good for would-be writers. Um, Writing is a skill. It's good to have a certain measure of talent as you start, but it's actually a skill that can be acquired like any other skill through long practice and study. And so I wanted to to demystify that, that kind of the idea that you're you're touched by some kind of... (laughs) muse i don't know about anybody else but in yorkshire we don't have muses we just graft at things until we get good um and i wanted to i wanted to get the ego thing out of the way because i think a lot of supposedly self-help books by writers are much more about the writer talking about themselves and how great they are and how much they've done yes rather than (laughs) saying look i am not the focus here you, the reader, are the focus because you're the one who's learning. And, you know, if anything that I say helps you, then that's fine. But it's also quite important to understand that there is no magic wand, there is no muse, there is no immutable rule book that you have to follow and you automatically become a writer. These are some of the things that you might need. And so I thought about workspace and the practicalities of things. And then I thought about headspace and the mental aspect of things, which is very important because you have, I I mean, you were talking about young writers before, but actually a lot of, if you like, writers who haven't actually written anything yet um, are not young. They have waited all their lives for permission to to start writing a book. Um, And so I wanted a book that would that would give them that permission that would say okay this is for you whatever level you're at whatever your your expertise you can start here and it's okay and what you will do will will be better and better as you get uh, as you get good at it and i also wanted to to demystify some of the the aspects of being a professional writer because i know that a lot of writers 
would love the idea of being a professional writer, but they don't know what professional writers actually do. Um, so I thought, okay, we, we could demystify some of that too and talk about the, the routine of being a professional writer and what that entails and what going on tour means and what publicity means and what dealing with readers means and what dealing with rejection means because, you know, that happens. And, and it's to try to, to make people feel less alone because actually we've got this wonderful system of communication now and, and we're able to talk to each other and nobody should feel alone in their experience because actually much of our experience is shared. And, and I wanted that to be, to be clear to people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you definitely nail that in terms of the actual discussion that you make within the book, not just talking about the actual writing process, but everything else that goes on around that. I kind of want to go back to this idea about, we were talking about it a little earlier, the idea of the ego, but also kind of getting yourself in the way, because this comes up a lot in the, the first section of, of the book. Um, and I know I love it. I, because it, it, it you, you were speaking, I mean, to me on a, when I was doing my own writing, I was just going this, I was dealing with all of this. I was dealing with all of this and I had no idea of being able Please, to Please, Nick, we, we all deal with it. I the know. ego is, it's, <laughs> the thing is, the thing about being a writer is that we are two things. We are rampaging egomaniacs and we are also <laughs> terribly insecure. And neither of those things are terribly helpful. I mean, I remember what it was like with my first book and being edited. And, and initially, you know, editing seems like such a challenge because, you know, somebody is saying, you know, here is this work that you've spent hours on and you've sweated over and I want you to change this. Or in my case, I want you to cut this and this and this because I used to overwrite most, most appallingly. And, and your instant reaction, I mean, anybody who is human, their instant reaction is to go, no, yeah. this is my art, my immortal prose. How dare you? How dare you touch it? But actually, that's what's one of the things you need to get out of the way. Because yeah. it's really not helpful to being good. Mm, absolutely. And uh, the one thing, particularly in this, in the, at the start of the book that you, that you really, I loved was you talking about that idea of permission. Um, you mentioned that a task new writers find unexpectedly difficult um, is giving themselves permission to write. C can you, can you expand on that a little further? Cause it's such a great quote and it entails so much uh, around the actual process of just getting started. Well, I talk about this on Twitter quite a lot and I've talked about it on my YouTube channel as well, where I have these little seminars which are there to accompany the book. And my first one was giving yourself permission. And so basically I did this little thing on screen whereby I talked about this a little and said, you know what, it's unexpectedly difficult to admit that you want to write, that you take it very seriously, that you are a writer. And so I sat there and kind of got my viewers to say, I am a writer. And I got so much feedback about this. So many people going, oh my God, it's like a dam has broken. When I said it aloud, I understood. And I know it sounds, it sounds elementary, but actually just allowing yourself to do something, to go, I am the kind of person who writes because there is the huge obstacle of the, the mythologizing 
of writers in society, the idea that writers are these special people, these talented people who are issued with a muse at birth and, and who write this, this magical stuff. And I am not that, I'm just an ordinary person. So how could I ever call myself a writer? And there's this, this huge imposter syndrome in people, which is absurd because actually pretty much every writer that I know has imposter syndrome. Um, and it's something that you need to get over. The idea that, you know, you have to feel that you're an exceptional talent before writing is just so wrong and so divisive and sad. And it means that people who would have had enormous joy and enrichment from writing just never dare to start. Mm. So the important thing to do is to go, actually, I'm not alone in feeling this, in feeling this inadequacy everybody feels it because we've been we've been sold the myth of the talented writer and it's it's always a guy and he's always smoking a pipe and he's got his special velvet writer's jacket on and he's sitting there in his ivory tower and he's got somebody to bake him cookies and 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 his muse clocks in regularly every morning and he writes immortal prose nobody's like this literally nobody everybody is just feeling their way and so just to sit down and go, right, I am not Hemingway or Stephen King or J.K. Rowling or, you know, whatever. I am not anybody, but I am me and I have a voice and I would like to express it. And I am a writer. And, and then you just start writing. And you know, some people get this straight away and some people take a long, long time to feel that they have permission because they just think, oh, well, I'll never be as good as, and you just insert your hero here. The truth is nobody is ever as good as their hero, but they can be as good as they can possibly be, which is what my book is supposed to help them to be. So at any level, you can be the best that you can be. Nobody wants to be somebody else. No one wants to speak in somebody else's voice. That's just imposter syndrome taken to the extreme yeah do you think that this is probably the biggest challenge first rate first time writers face like the I idea think it can be. yeah because i mean and i'm i'm saying that very well aware of the fact that we have to get to the the end of the first draft and we have to get to the editing process and we have to get get to the book being published and that is a whole other minefield in itself but the actual process oh, of is. starting um, actually itself. starting well the thing is if you don't get past that then you never will get to any of the other stages exactly you yeah. have to overcome the fear and the fear can sometimes be crippling and I find often that the better a writer is the more fear they're, they're experiencing um, I used to be very involved in the fan fiction community and I would write anonymous fan fiction around various fandoms. And there were some very, very good writers in there. Um, but they were very fearful. And the idea that they could perhaps do something else in their own voice was, was almost crippling to them. But I could tell that there was a lot of talent there. Um, and so I talked to a lot of people who loved to write, but who only felt safe in a fan fiction environment, which is not to say that fan fiction isn't great to do because it is, or that you know, you shouldn't just stick to fan fiction if you want to, but some would have liked to write stuff of their own, but they just didn't have the confidence. It was just, there was constantly this feeling that they would never be as good as their heroes. And they didn't know who to ask permission to, to try. Mm, it's that, that voice of the ego that 
that we talk about that idea that there's always someone who will be better than you, which is such a ego a, and insecurity. It's exactly it's the, the other twin angels and demons on our shoulders. And actually it's probably a good idea to banish them both. I mean, ego is, is necessary. It's great. Um, it gives us the confidence. It gives us the motivation to write. It sometimes also stands in the way of improvement. So we have to manage ego. It, ego is like a sort of a fractious dog you have to keep it on a leash it can be it can be really useful but you don't want it jumping around all over the place getting in the way of creativity but you also have this this inevitable sense of insecurity and fear of criticism and fear of not being as good as you want to be and that too is is often something that gets in the way of actually just sitting down and, and writing something and not worrying about those things because actually the writing is the first essential if you don't sit down and write and give yourself permission and find your space um, and have the people around us try and, and, and take it seriously too so that they allow us space, then, mm. then it's, it's never going to get done and it will always be just a dream. Yeah, exactly. Um, I also kind of want to talk a little bit as well about um, habits. You meant you talk a lot about habits within the book as well. Um, one of the things I personally find fascinating that you, particularly when you mention, is also about just, and it seems like a no brainer, but the idea of also being a good reader. Um, some people from, you know, some authors who I've talked to often think I'm not going to read during the writing process because I'm worried that all of my influences will bleed into the book and it won't be where pure creativity comes from or, and even I myself find it quite difficult to actually sit down and read, even if I'm personally enjoying and reading a book, what does being a good reader actually look like? Well, um, I think that, I mean, effectively, you have to put stuff in so that you can take stuff out. So if you don't read, then you are going to be creatively depleted. It's not just reading books either. It's, it's reading all kinds of things. I would advise to anybody writing or wanting to write that actually the first thing they need to do is to read and to read a lot in all sorts of different genres, fiction, non-fiction, different kinds of genres, not just necessarily the genre in which you're writing, but also not to actively avoid the genre in which you're writing. And an alarming number of people tell me that they do this because they don't want to be influenced. The thing is, if you read diversely enough you won't be influenced you will get a nice overall reading experience mm. and the broader your reading experience the more confident your voice will be which is really important because actually I mean I didn't have a voice when I started writing I used to I used to write in all kinds of other people's voices because you know I, I happened to like doing that and it was a good apprenticeship but eventually once maturity comes you do end up having a voice of your own and, and the more secure your voice, the better. Um, but also, you know, I, I don't understand how anybody can feel that they, they can inhabit a reading community if they don't do any reading. Yeah. <laughs> you learn so much from reading. I mean, quite mm. apart from the, the enrichment of reading and the ideas, you also, you can, you can see how other people's styles work or how they don't work. Um, even reading bad writing, objectively bad writing, can teach you something about how to be better. 
uh, reading good writing, obviously, you, you can see why it's good. You can see why it touches you, why there is a connection made. Um, because writing and reading is all about connections. Mm. And th- that kind of leads on to a, a great... Uh, another kind of great part about the book that you met, that you talk about, which is kind of the whole author reader relationship. Um, and I love your your metaphor of kind of 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 the whole idea of it being like dancing. You're essentially dancing with you are the author, and you are dancing with the reader, giving them an experience um, in that sense. You know, for any new writers, do you find, because, I mean, often some new writers, do you think they would they, they don't actually think about how an audience might take this or, or they're more focused on the idea of, well, I'm just figuring out how to actually just get this down on the page in the first place. I'm figuring out if I can even just do this first or fr- from kind of the other pointers that you've seen, do writers does that come later in the process or is it, or is it, or do people start to pick up on that quickly? I think it depends on the writer. Mm. I do having dealt with um, tutoring writers in the past. I do know that some people find it a bit of a challenge to think about anybody but themselves when they're writing. Um, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but writing is about making a connection and I do think that it's important to understand this because if if you're writing to be read, then you need to think about who may read your your writing. And I think that there's there's a pivot. There's a kind of pivotal moment where you need to stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about what you're doing. Start thinking about the story that you're telling. Um, and I think that sometimes the the ego we were talking about means that some beginning writers sometimes feel they feel it necessary to to sort of stand in the front of the picture all the time um actually one of the secrets of writing is that the readers don't really care too much about the author when they're reading the book Mm -hmm. they don't want to see the author they want to see the characters they want to experience the story if you come away from a book thinking, gosh, that author was a jolly, ch- clever chap, then the author failed in what they were doing because they haven't engaged the reader with the characters and the story. All they've done is boost their ego by, by saying, I am super clever. Um, and the experience can't have been much fun for the reader either. So if your in- intention is to, to tell a great story, to sweep the reader away into some adventure, to get them to care so much about the characters that the characters feel real, then you, the writer, have to step away. Mm. And this is sometimes, I think, what what writers forget about when, when they're starting off because they feel that they have more to prove than they really do. Actually, it's okay to stand back and just tell a great story. Mm. The other stuff, it's not, it's not relevant to what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, it's, it, it kind of gets into that whole mentality around, again, going back to why you choose to write, what, what your purpose is to write. I love, we'll jump ahead to kind of the latter half of the book. And I love, uh, particularly when you start talking about the first draft and that essentially all drafts are terrible. All first drafts are terrible. 
Um, and you also talk about the, a lot of the need for the author to, to respect the editor and also be prepared to let go. Um, is it, when it comes to creative control, the actual finished writing writer's process, I know that there are so many people who take different perspectives around editors. Um, what, what does a, a good, healthy relationship with your editor look like if you are uh, uh, an author that really wants to make sure that understands that this first draft, not everything is going to work, but at the same time, I also need to be prepared to kill my darlings and actually allow for a second perspective on this. Well, the thing is, if you're writing to be published, to be read, then you are going to have other perspectives, whether you plan for them or not. So your editor is basically your first reader and she is a first sympathetic, constructive, educated, well-read reader, and ideally somebody you know and trust. I think, you know, if you don't have um, a position of trust with your editor, then you need to find an editor that works for you because um, it's such an important relationship. But an editor is not a censor. An editor will not make changes to your manuscript unless you want changes to be made so ideally an editor will not go ah you must change that you must cut this an editor will say right this feels baggy do something about it this character feels flat do something about it there's something wrong with the timeline here fix it um they will be pointing out things that a reader would point out in a much less friendly way at a time when you can do something about it. And I think it's, it's everybody needs an editor. It doesn't matter how, how well established you are, everybody needs an editor. And I see it again and again, well established writers who suddenly feel that they, they don't need an editor anymore. And boy, does it show. <laughs> because when you start feeling you don't need an editor, this is the moment at which you need it most. Um, this is the moment where you start getting self-indulgent, overwriting stuff, where your books suddenly balloon from 300 pages to 600 pages, and half of it, you know, shouldn't be there. Um, so an editor keeps you honest. They keep your ego from swelling too much. And also they point out the things that sometimes an author is too too involved in the process to notice. I mean, I know that some of the things that I do wrong, one of the things I do wrong is that I often get timelines mixed up. I often forget numbers. I need somebody to tell me, hang on, this diary format book, it was Thursday then, three days later, it's still Thursday. What happened there then? Um, I need somebody to tell me these things because sometimes I'm too close to the story to look at the, the logistics of things. I need somebody to tell me when I'm overusing a word or a phrase. Everybody has words and phrases they overuse. I need somebody to say, hang on a minute, this 30-page description of a doorknob, did it really need to be there? And, you know, <laughs> stuff like this. It, we all need somebody to stand back and give us an objective view because it's extremely difficult when you're writing out of passion and joy and you're in the heat of creation to actually stand back and go, okay, if I'd never read this book before, what would I think? Mm. And the yeah. editor is there to help you with that perspective. It's kind of almost like a, a weird way to describe, but almost like your, your first reader. It is your first reader. and Absolutely. But, mm, and, uh, but she it, is also a reader who, who has a great deal of experience in deconstructing why writing works or doesn't mm. work. 
not all readers have this. And so she is an articulate reader with knowledge of the industry and who has read large amounts of fiction. Mm, ex yeah, exactly. And incredibly valuable and can make your story better and streamline things that, that you, and, and notice things that maybe you didn't even see yourself in your book, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I'm aware that we're, we're running out of time. So I'm kind of going to talk about the, the actual notion of publication, which you talk about in the final section of the book. Um, and, you know, you talk about the idea of what actually happens if you, if you make it and the challenges that come from there. Uh, what was really fascinating to me and to, uh, you know, a lot of people in the office when, we, when, we had, when this book was circulating around is that you ask plenty of questions of the publishing industry. Um, as well and how you you, you feel kind of uh, correct me but if that the industry doesn't really allow most authors to kind of really make an honest li living and be able to really uh, showcase themselves um, and you know I, I myself came from a background of doing things the solo way I, I mean I published the first edition of my book through a small independent publisher you don't really make any money from it doing like that it's all fueled by by passion and while I mean myself personally I've now got a foot in the door a lot of the vast majority of people who um, who write with the aspiration of being published and actually doing this in a professional manner don't don't get those opportunities um, no they don't and particularly you like that you talk about that idea of how much of is your soul worth when talking about this what is going on with the publishing industry right now and in your opinion what do you think can be done to change this and make more of the onus actually back on the creative people the authors themselves who are fueling this entire thing Ah, well, this is the publishing industry is in a complicated state. Uh, when I first joined the publishing industry, the, the net book agreement still existed, which meant that there could be no discounting of books. And every author basically had the same level playing field. We had a lot more bookshops on the high streets because there was a level playing field because you couldn't have a supermarket discounting books to the disfavor of the indie bookshop round the corner. Books had a price. You didn't pay anything other than the price of that book wherever you bought it from. And books by best-selling authors were pretty much the same price as books by authors you'd never heard of. Um, that's not the case anymore. There's a very complicated system of pricing and discounting, which works to the disfavor of authors that are new, authors that are less popular and to the favor of authors that are celebrities or very big best-selling authors. This is now the truth of publishing and it's created a situation whereby most authors can't make a living writing full-time anymore. Um, I am chair of the Society of Authors in the UK. Um, the average earning of a full-time author is substantially less than the minimum wage and this is this is shocking i mean it's it's very sad mm. i think a lot of people wanting to get into writing as a profession i'm absolutely not wanting to put them off here but it is really very important for them to manage their expectations because i think a lot of people start writing with the idea that not only will they be successful very quickly but they will also be financially successful mm. to a degree which will mean that they will be able to make a living out of writing books. 
Um, and very few people do now. Uh, obviously, we know that there are some people who have made huge amounts of money writing, but they are very much the exception. The rest of, of the writing profession are, are very much disadvantaged. And I would say the first thing to do is join your union um, and, and try and get all the protections that the union offers because um, writers need all the help they can get. They are generally underpaid in a world where actually the, the, the publishing business is making plenty of money. It's just not going to most writers. Mm. It's going to the management. It's, it's editors actually don't make that great a living, but at least they're on a salary. Writers are not on a salary. Uh, the way writers are paid is a very different kettle of fish and, and it's very complicated. Um, but, you know, writers are also very much, we were talking about imposter syndrome before, even successful writers find it difficult to talk about money. Mm. They find it difficult to ask for money. Mm. Uh, when we do festivals and appearances around the country for promotion purposes, we find it embarrassing to ask for payment for our time and expertise. And so if you're doing a big festival, of course, nobody's doing them anymore because everything has now gone online. But uh, you know, when you are spending a day or two days to go to a festival to do a lecture and the lecture is ticketed and people are paying um, and they've also paid for the venue and they've paid for the food and everything else is is paid for, but the author is expected to do it for free. This undermines mm. authors everywhere. This makes people feel that actually authors work, it's okay for them to work for free. And the same is true for the pirating of books, that there's so much book pirating online. It makes people feel that it's okay for something that somebody worked for five or 10 years on to be available for free. And what happens to the author during that time? How does the author get to make a living? And in many cases, that, that the author doesn't make a living. Um, and they either quit writing altogether, which happens, or they, they just have to, to get a day job and, and sustain their writing that way because writing is not perceived to be something with that amount of financial worth in spite of the fact that you know the the writing industry is creating huge amounts of money but just for other people mm. yeah it's very disappointing that, that that there has been such change uh within the industry particularly within the last few years around this to actually place less value on the people that are responsible for all of this and not giving the them the actual dues that they are worth for actually creating amazing books and amazing stories from the your contemporaries who have who have, who have read the book or made comments on on this book what has their uh, been their, their response been on this and do you think that it will potentially hopefully start something to inspire a bit more a bit more change around the industry well, I do hope so. I mean, as chair of the SOA, I've talked about this a lot. The SOA talks about this a lot. We're very much um, in conversation with publishers about fairer contracts um, for authors. But, you know, these are conversations that have to be had over a long period of time. Um, the, the festival position, for instance, um, is something that we, we have had some success over, but it's because people like me, people like Philip Pullman, high profile members of the SOA banged on about how festivals should be paying a fee to all their contributors for such a long time that actually festivals started to, to reconsider their budget mm. and to start factoring in the, the idea that yes, 
authors should should be paid at least a small fee and expenses and now we've got a majority of festivals who now do this the same will go for for contracts and and the soa offers a contract vetting service so that you know authors who are not sure about their contract can have them looked at and you know, we pick up a lot of very unfair contracts from publishers and and you know that's important too it's important for authors to understand that a publisher who publishes their book is not doing them a favor they're exploiting a valuable resource if that valuable resource is worth something to them then they should be prepared to pay for it and they should be prepared to to treat their contributor with the respect that's due and not to give them exploitative contracts because there's this this feeling that because people who are in the writing business generally don't get paid that much then they must be okay just to work for love mm. and that's working for love and loving what you do are not really the same thing mm. and it's quite important that 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 love that people have for their work is not exploited by people who actually just want to make money out of them mm. so there's that and this is important to, to bear in mind it's important for for people without feeling you know it's it is not arrogant to value what you do mm. if somebody else wants it then they should be prepared to pay for it and and it should be a fair wage yeah absolutely and it's 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 so great that this the way you kind of phrase it and frame it really is a it, it leads to us asking and having a bigger conversation about this and that it's a conversation particularly within the industry that we need to have I know that we we are running out of time on this, but what for particularly kind of because because a lot of this is is framed around writers who want to get into the industry. What is the the piece of publishing advice or one piece of advice for authors who've completed a manuscript? What would be that one thing, a piece of advice that you would give them for this um, in terms of looking at this book and going, okay, what next? Well, um. If they've completed a first draft, bear in mind that they will need to redraft it a lot of times. Um, I'm assuming that most people should have an editor. I think if, if your manuscript is, is in really good shape when you submit it, it's always a good thing. Um, people normally are better submitting things via agents. Agents are difficult to find and there's a reason for that because they're overwhelmed by people with manuscripts and they will only pick the ones they think they can sell. So your first gatekeeper, if you like, is an agent. Um, most publishers don't look at unagented authors and the ones that do are often exploitative publishers who are actually quite happy that their authors have no protection from an agent because they're intending to stitch them up and so yeah again good idea to have an agent it takes a while it took me as long to find my agent as it took for my agent to get a publisher for me with my first book so all of these things take time um and once you've got a draft you're happy with and you're you're able to submit it start writing another one mm. It, yeah. it, these things take such a long time that to pin all your hopes on one submission and to put your life and your writing at a standstill, it's not helpful. Um, so if you do get rejected a year from now, at least you have another manuscript on the go. 
you have something which will be better because everything that you do is better than the last thing hopefully and if you do get accepted then hooray you've got a second book to uh, to, to to factor into the deal because publishers love two book deals so you know you, it just keep going don't let anything stop you in that sense don't let anything drag you back and 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 also don't don't throw good time after bad if something gets rejected by lots of people for the same reason and you feel that the reason isn't fixable then just move on no writing is ever wasted a lot of people feel that you know they've if they they abandon a project that all the time they spent on it will have been wasted that's not true it's you know writing is is much more like running a marathon than anything else everything you do up to running the marathon None of that is actually running a marathon, but it's all training. It's all building you up to the thing that you do where you actually perform. So stuff that you lay aside, not only is it not wasted from the experience perspective, but it's also something you can come back and reuse and rewrite you know, 10, 20 years later. Um, sometimes I, I will put a manuscript aside for 10 years and then I'll look at it again and I'll go, huh, that idea was interesting. I will borrow that or I'll take that and, and use it with something else and, and bundle it together. So, you know, nothing is, is wasted and you should never resent the time that you've spent on something, even if it didn't lead to acceptance or publication at that point. Mm, I think that is excellent advice and highly recommended for for anyone in terms of wanting to actually keep going and keep the passion and the fire going when you are submitting scripts, uh, submitting manuscripts for, for consideration. Will you, will you write another book like this? Or if not, what's next for you? Do you have another book of your own uh, in the pipeline? Oh, I have lots of books in the pipeline. I've just <laughs> put one out called Orfea, which is uh, a fantasy novella. Um, based on two old ballads um, about grief and motherhood and death. Um, I'm also writing, I'm just finishing a thriller called A Narrow Door, which is hopefully coming out next year, assuming I can find the end of it. I'm not sure if I'll need to write another self-help book because I think this one is fairly complete in terms of the things that I wanted to to express. But, you know, never say never if, if there's a need for something different on the same lines, then I wouldn't be averse to writing it. Mm. There's always definitely a hunger for it and uh, I, your other books sound absolutely amazing. I love a good thriller. Um, thank you. I could pick your brain about, about, the, about this book forever, but unfortunately we, we have run out of time. Thank you so much, Joanne, for, for coming on the Booktopia podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been a pleasure for me too, Nick. Thank you. Um, so for all of our listeners, 10 Things uh, About Writing is published by uh, Booktopia Editions and is available to order now, along with Joanne's other incredible books from booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.